Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast, your source for policy rants and raves and recycling the same guests over and over. From Tech Freedom, your Washington, D.C. advocate for the freedom to tinker and innovate. I'm Evan Schwarzschauber, your host. On today's show, skilled professionals in the gig economy, the sharing economy, whatever you want to call it. While most of the focus is on companies like Uber or Airbnb, skilled professionals like handymen, mechanics, and personal trainers are also taking advantage of online platforms like Thumbtack to find customers. Does skilled labor truly represent a separate aspect of the sharing economy? Should regulators treat it differently than load-skilled labor? Joining me to discuss this is Jared Meyer, a research fellow at the Manhattan Institute and author of Uber Positive, Why Americans Love the Sharing Economy. Jared, thank you so much for joining me yet again. Hey, thanks for having me, Evan. Well, today, Thumbtack, an online marketplace for professional services like handymen and uh, personal trainers, released a study titled Beyond the Gig Economy, How New Technologies Are Reshaping the Future of Work. The report draws on Thumbtack's proprietary data from tens of thousands of small businesses, as well as the latest economic data, labor statistics, and forecasts. So, Jared, one of the findings here is that the low-skilled gig economy job is unsustainable. Thumbtack's report seems to suggest that jobs like driving for Uber are going to be you know, taken out by things like automated cars and other forms of automation. Uh, what do you think about this and other findings in the report? Well, first we should point out what Thumbtack is. They're an online marketplace that allows people to find customers easier. People who, as you pointed out, handymen, everything from chefs, any kind of small business owner who wants access to greater marketing tools and customers. So in this vein, Thumbtack released a new study talking about how the sharing economy's uh, focus is is too heavily on Uber right now. And they talk about how the sharing economy extends to all sorts of businesses across the economy. But unfortunately, in their conclusion, they tend to kind of overlook the benefits that platforms like Uber and TaskRabbit have for the economy on a whole. Instead, they focus on highly skilled professions and say regulators should focus on uh, making sure these professions aren't regulated out of business. And they kind of cast all the other parts of the sharing economy that most Americans are familiar with to the side. But are they right to say that a job like driving for Uber, you know, those days are numbered because eventually we're going to have automated cars and maybe the company Uber will still exist because you're still going to need a car, but the person driving it is going to be out of a job. I mean, are they right to kind of raise the alarm on some of these gig economy jobs that just might be going out of business uh, before people even have a chance to get something out of them? Well, they could, but really, when has it been the goal of public policy to just say, screw them to any type of worker who works in an occupation that may be automated in the next few decades? What we need to focus on is the immense benefits that services such as Uber provide to consumers right now and to drivers. People are able to work on these new online platforms in a way that Thumbtack points out part-time transient work that maybe supplements income and I should point out I found this out over 70% of people under 30 have at least a 30% monthly fluctuation in their incomes so this means that they need that extra source of income that they can work when they want and have that flexibility in order to do things such as meet their student loan payments or pay rent for the month so while it's important to make sure that uh, service providers across the economy are able to take advantage of online platforms. We also need to focus on the ones that Thumbtack uh, takes to task for being temporary employment. Right now, they're serving a very important purpose. Yeah, I guess it's unclear exactly what 
someone is supposed to draw from the study, you can draw many conclusions. Uh, they're clearly drawing a distinction between companies like Thumbtack, where you are trying to grow your existing business. If you're a handyman, maybe you had clients before you joined Thumbtack, maybe not, but your business is being a handyman and Thumbtack is just helping you find more customers, whereas they kind of imply that companies like Uber, and they correctly imply that most of the people who use Uber are just doing it for side cash. They're not full-time employees. Now, is it important to draw this distinction, Jared? What do you think is the implication of a company like this releasing a study that seems to really try to back away from maybe some of the more controversial aspects of the sharing economy and say that these are skilled professionals, these are career builders, they're not people just going out for a quick gig? Well, I think what Thumbtack's worried about is all the conversation that's going on about taking away the ability to work as an independent contractor. The debate over this has really focused on people like Uber drivers. So I don't blame Thumbtack for feeling as if its customers' businesses are threatened because of the push to just get rid of independent contracting in America. And I should point out, uh, looking at Thumbtack's report, they break, they make a distinction between commoditized platforms and marketplaces. So for commodities, Think of Uber, for example. There's an undifferentiated, undifferentiated supply. Workers really don't have a control over the rate that's charged, and they work under the platform. So the platform is sort of an intermediary that connects them with customers and connects customers with drivers. On the other hand, Thumbtack says that it works in a marketplace where there's different levels of supply and the actual workers themselves can control the rates they charge and really what they do. So what Thumbtack's working with is definitely an independent contractor under every possible interpretation of the law. But they're worried because there's some characteristics that Uber drivers share with employees, though I would argue they're still independent contractors. Thumbtack is worried that any push to try to move these workers to employees is also going to affect their customers. Ah, so the basic idea being that uh, even though there's a, there is a clear distinction between skilled and unskilled labor, that all the controversy over the sharing economy that focuses on companies like Uber for a variety of reasons, for a handful of occasions of drivers behaving badly or the fact that people don't get their health care from Uber and all of that controversy, they're worried that lost in that cloud of confusion are, is going to be the distinction between skilled and unskilled labor and any sharing economy specific regulation that we see coming from either Congress or the Federal Trade Commission will unfairly rope in skilled labor. But are they implying that those regulations on Uber should go ahead and just spare thumbtack? Or are they saying that and all of the above don't regulate us out of existence, whether it's skilled labor or unskilled labor? All regulators need to tread carefully and be humble in the face of changing technology. It seems from reading the report, it may just be that they have a narrower focus, but they really don't care about Uber drivers and the workers who work on commodity platforms. Uh, I would have liked to see a stronger defense, especially from an organization I respect, such as Thumbtack, that shows that all of these new job offerings and benefits to consumers need to be protected from overzealous regulators. So the report clearly creates two silos. You got, as you mentioned, the commodity-focused gig economy, including things like Uber and then the professional services marketplaces like Thumbtack. But is, is it a case of uh, too, too narrow, as you suggested to me in the pre-show? Um, you brought up the example of a company like Airbnb that might not fit into those two silos. How so? Well, one of the benefits of the sharing economy is that it puts dead capital to use. Think people who had cars who were just sitting in their garages or 
empty seats while they were driving to work, they can turn that into money right now. And you see this especially with Airbnb, with where everyone who has an unused room can turn that into a cash flow. But in the dichotomy that Thumbtack creates, Airbnb doesn't really fit in nicely to either category. And I'm actually glad that this happened because it gives us an opportunity to talk about the sharing economy as a whole. For too long, I mean, it's great that Americans are finally familiar with what the sharing economy is, but it's almost too late. Now it's grown so much that the benefits of technological progress has enabled really the whole economy to become sort of like the sharing economy. And the reason I argue this is the whole reason corporations exist in the first place is to reduce transaction costs. And this Cosian theory of the firm, it's pretty widely accepted. Just think, it used to be expensive to find a graphic designer that you could bring on to do all your projects. So you hire an in-house graphic designer. But now with all these different platforms, it makes it much easier to outsource this type of work. So what we're seeing is that the entire economy, I just would prefer to call it the new economy rather than the sharing economy, where reduced transaction costs have put increased power in both the hands of consumers and workers. And really even trying to make it down to three, four, five categories, that's too narrow. Everything from tech to healthcare is now going through the same revolution that we saw transportation go through and lodging. The sharing economy is coming to the economy on a whole and it's up to policymakers to embrace it. So perhaps for strategic reasons, Thumbtack decided to create the two silos because maybe that's a they're kind of creating a shortcut for lawmakers to say, all right, if you're going to end up doing some regulating. Uh, here are your two categories and keep us out of that one that you're going to regulate. So I guess it makes sense that a company in their position would do that because they're facing down the barrel of potential regulation. Um, but you mentioned, of course, the tech economy is just making work easier across the board. It's making it easier for people to find customers. And one of the aspects of the report suggests that it's easier and cheaper than ever for skilled professionals to take part in the gig economy. Now, Thumbtack cites the Affordable Care Act as one of those reasons it, that it removed obstacles that previously prevented people from starting their own businesses. Jared, uh, has the Affordable Care Act really made it easier to start a business? Uh, it depends on what part of the business you're talking about. It does make it easier to hop between jobs because it did a little bit in moving the ball away from having employment totally coupled with health care. What we need to do, though, is take it a step further and completely decouple employment from health care. Stop treating health care you get on your own as an individual different under the tax code than health care that you get from an employer. All this does is create job locks so that people are stuck in a job just so they can keep their health care. So that was an admirable goal of the Affordable Care Act. I would not go as far as Thumbtack went to say that it was successful in doing this, but it's something that we need to do to encourage the future of work, which is flexible, individualized, and mobile. It, you know, Maybe in the past, people would go work for a company for 30 years, retire with a defined benefit pension, and be perfectly happy. That's not the millennial American dream. And again, we need to update policies so that we can embrace this changing economy. So you say we need to move away from employment being coupled with health care. Um, excuse me, are you suggesting that a, a certain presidential candidate by the name Bernie Sanders is right and that we need to have a single payer system so that there is no uh, involvement with employment and the government just pays for everyone's health care? That's one way of uh, moving away from the employment model, right, Jared? Well, that is one way, but I think a much easier way would be, again, just apply the same tax treatment to health care purchased by individuals or provided by employers. Right 
right now, uh, this actually started during World War II because there was a freeze on wages. So companies needed to find a way to bring on more skilled workers. What they did was instead of increasing compensation through wages because they weren't allowed to do that, they started giving out more generous health care plans because that didn't count. And ever since then, you know, anytime the government creates a distortion, they just keep going with it more and more. So instead of doubling down on this mistake that should have never happened in the first place, I say we just restore some sanity to the system. I mean, employers don't provide your housing. Why do we expect them in America and encourage them to do so under the tax code to provide your health care? Yeah, especially in a dynamic uh, economy where technology is allowing people to move between jobs more seamlessly. It seems kind of uh, like the idea that Healthcare is something that you get through your full-time job is going to be going away because it's just not flexible enough to keep up with changes in technology. Now, the Thumbtack report concludes with specific policy recommendations to support skilled professionals uh, like those who use Thumbtack, um, including minimizing regulatory barriers and complex tax policies. So, Jared, you mentioned the one about healthcare. Are there other regulatory barriers and tax policies in the Thumbtack report then you can identify and uh, maybe either support or not support? Well, I think one of the main things that people across the aisle are talking about in, when it comes to regulatory barriers to entrepreneurs is reforming occupational licensing laws. And these kind of fly under the radar, but effectively what they are is you have to go to your state government and get a permission slip to work. And this permission slip costs a lot of money and often takes a lot of time. And it, people will think, oh, you're talking about like doctors, lawyers, accountants that they need to be licensed to work because they could pose some dangers to the public or mislead the public if they're not qualified. Well, that might have been how it was in the 1950s when one in every 20 American workers needed a government permission slip to work. But today, it's one in every three workers. This is everything from florists to interior designers to door repairmen. And what it's doing is really cutting off avenues of entrepreneurship. And because it's a state issue, we need a mobile economy, as a lot of people have uh, pointed out, in order to keep growing. But each state has different licensing requirements. So let's say you're a licensed interior designer in one state and you want to move to another, you have to go through the whole process again. And this you know, disproportionately affects military wives. And again, moving to a new area to follow jobs is one of the best ways to promote economic mobility. So I would say occupational licensing is definitely something Thumbtack had in mind. Um, excuse me, Jared. Are you, are you suggesting you, don't, you should not need a license to sell flowers? I mean, can you not see all of the horrible scenarios that could play out if you had someone selling you flowers? that didn't get a license to do that? Well, luckily, we actually get to see all these horrible scenarios playing out each day in 49 states because only one state licensed florists, Louisiana. <laughs> and a funny thing to point out is the pass rate for the Louisiana florist exam is actually half as high as the pass rate for the Louisiana bar exam, which means it's twice as hard to become a lawyer in Louisiana as it is to take two flowers and put them together and sell it. Uh, well, maybe we do need fewer lawyers and more florists, uh, so uh, <laughs> maybe they need to uh, to switch that around. <laughs> But uh, Jared, how do you see this shaking out? I mean, we've got this report now. I mean, clearly Thumbtack is trying to get out ahead of the issue and kind of uh, tell lawmakers what they think before they even consider regulating. But uh, obviously, we've got an election going on, so things might not be moving in Congress too much. But do you see any action on the regulatory front for the sharing economy or are lawmakers going to continue to just kind of let things shake out and see how they go? Well, I don't see any action happening soon from Congress, but I do 
see a lot of action happening in the future, and we've seen it in the past on the executive agency level. The Department of Labor has waged an all-out war on independent contractors, trying to make it more difficult for workers to be able to gain this status. And they have this antiquated view of an employer-worker relationship. They even call like the master-servant relationship was what it was called back when it was put in place. So these policies are clearly out of date. Workers and consumers have more power than ever before, but the Department of Labor continues to go behind Congress and the public's back and make it more and more difficult. To how do work. they? How exactly? What, what sorts of things are they doing that make it more difficult to be an independent contractor? So, for example, there's a six-part test to determine whether someone's an employee or an independent contractor. And one of the criteria is how much of a control or how much control employers have over their workers' hours. If they have a lot of control, it tips the scales in favor of employer. If they don't have any control, then it makes it pretty clear that it's an independent contractor. Well, because Uber, for example, has no control over how many hours its workers work, uh, the Labor Department decided to downplay this which means that now that's not one of the six criteria that are used to determine if someone's an employee or an uh, independent contractor. So really, the idea that you don't even have any control over the the Uber driver's hours, that doesn't even factor into the test on whether you're an independent contractor anymore? That seems insane. Yeah, it is insane. And what's even more insane is the way this regulation was promulgated, it was through a blog post. So it never even had to go before (laughs) public comment. I mean, talk about we see similar things going on sort of in the tech sector where there's important debates that we should be having uh, before Congress or at least having the public involved. But regulators are going out of their way to use kind of shady. I've heard Wayne Cruz at the Competitive Enterprise Institute call it dark matter regulation. We know it's (laughs) there, but it's hard to see it or measure it because it's not happening through the way that regulation is supposed to be created. Well, I guess, uh, listeners, we've seen regulation from Congress. We've seen regulation from executive orders from the president. We've seen regulation from agencies, and now we're seeing regulation through blog posts. So I guess uh, one aspect of technology taking over the world is that you can have regulations through a blog post. So that's (laughs) apparently a thing now. So uh, certainly check out for more of that, or let's hope it doesn't happen, because I think a a transparent uh, public comment system is probably usually going to result in a, or have a better result for consumers than uh, some sort of blog post method. But uh, that's it for today's show. Uh, My guest has been Jared Meyer, a research fellow at the Manhattan Institute and author of Uber Positive, Why Americans Love the Sharing Economy. Jared, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Evan. In the show notes for today's episode, we link to the Thumbtack Report, so uh, certainly check that out. Follow us on Twitter at TechFreedom or on Facebook.com slash TechFreedom. Find this podcast in the iTunes store or on your favorite podcast app. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It will help others find the show. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.